Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. We're the official podcast of Tennis Canada, also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. You can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. We're also on Instagram at Matchpoint Canada. And uh, we have an exciting episode on tap as uh, we'll chat with Canadian tennis player and junior doubles champion two times, Carson Brandstein, who's now attending USC for tennis. And I also have a conversation coming up uh, with a tennis freestyle artist uh, who has some of the most innovative videos you can really find on Instagram tennis related. And aside from our two uh, interviews this week, uh, we also delve into the proposal from world number one Novak Djokovic, who along with uh, Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer are aiming to help players outside of the top 250 in the world with the financial situation that they find themselves in uh, right now during this tough time. And we also chat some big three, uh, big four, I guess you could say, in terms of their live Instagram chats and how entertaining that's been over the past few days. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually been really, really great content. And I, I just finished before we got on the phone watching uh, Novak Djokovic's uh, lengthy conversation with Stan Wawrinka. Uh, but before we get to that, uh, yeah, let's let's start on the player funding because uh, Novak Djokovic, who's obviously kind of spearheading this atop the Players' Council, consulted with uh, Rafa and Roger on setting up funding to pay ATP players ranked 250 to 700 wages uh and and that is actually a fund of four point five billion dollars. And uh, the reason, obviously, Mike, this initiative is huge is if you're a player like toiling in the four hundreds or five hundreds, and you can't play tournaments, you can't have any money coming in. Like you might have to make that decision to just give up your career. Oh, absolutely. I mean, some of these players are probably already having to do little part time gigs on the side, whether it's teaching tennis lessons or working at a local club or, or what have you. Um, in order to help themselves get get through the year. So now that we're in this situation, I mean, everyone's feeling a little bit of financial strain, no matter what kind of work you're doing almost. And for tennis players of that uh, level, it's definitely just amplified. So the uh, the idea is great. I was surprised that the idea is coming from players and not the ATP Tour necessarily itself. Although, if I read correctly, there is the provision that they're going to match some money. Is that is that right? Uh, I'm I'm not certain about that, but it, yeah, the the or initial been like anyways, perhaps right, I think right. Novak was suggesting perhaps the ATP would would match or something. Yes, like that. yes, I, and that hasn't been confirmed yet. But uh, mm-hmm. this this came out through a letter to the ATP Tour, and the idea is top five players in the world all contribute thirty thousand dollars to the initiative. If your ranking is uh, five to ten, twenty thousand, uh, ten to twenty, you're contributing fifteen thousand, ten thousand from twenty to fifty, and then. 50 to 100 uh, would be asked to contribute $5,000 along with like top doubles players uh, would contribute that. And then uh, you, you look at the structure of the funding and then each grand slam is also asking uh, being asked to contribute some money. So, so it adds up to 4.5 million. And uh, I, you know, I know, I know like $5,000 maybe doesn't sound like that much, but, but spread out uh, I, I think just a little could, could go a long way in helping these players uh, maintain their livelihoods as 10, as players and if they can get part-time side gigs uh, while we ride out this coronavirus pandemic, they're safe to hopefully return to their careers and the tours when uh, when we are back to normal. 
it's, it's going to be really interesting to see where it goes from here, because at this point, it seems like it's just the, the initiative, the suggestion. But does it get implemented? Do all players, um, you know, jump on board? What if some players don't feel comfortable doing it? What if some players don't feel that financially they can meet the amount of money that's been proposed for their ranking? And uh, the, the first thing I thought of with this was, um, how, how do you feel if you're the player on the ATP rankings who's number 701 in the world? Right, right. Uh, that that sounds so very problematic. Yeah, no kidding. Like, where do you go? You know, how do you, obviously, the, there's no way to include every tennis player out there right. that considers them a professional, but I would feel pretty bad for someone ranked 701, 702. <laughs> uh, and also, what about the, the guy who's ranked number 249, exactly. who's, who's not, you know, living, living at large? Uh, and, and he is, while he's not contributing to uh, the fund, he's not getting anything from the fund either so it's uh, it's just an interesting um situation for some of those players who are on the the outside of of that range um and it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here like i said it'll also be interesting to see ben as uh, something you mentioned to me earlier do we see something similar on the wta side yeah, and I, I think that would certainly be necessary uh, if it's possible. There's there's no reason why the the WTA and, and maybe players can can work within the their council and uh, work within the tour uh, to help out their players who are lower ranked and and wanna preserve their careers during this difficult time where they have no means of, of making any financial gain whatsoever. There, there are some nuances in this as well. I understand, like, say, if you were previously a, a top-ranked player who has missed a bunch of time due to injury, uh, but you've still, like, say, brought in, like, large amounts of prize money, you might not be the person getting these funds. So there is uh, nuance. So Andy should... Murray's not going to be getting a uh, <laughs> an extra paycheck. Here. Exactly, exactly. Right. Uh, whereas uh, yeah, I think there is some nuance to this. So maybe if you are like lingering in the 230s and you're kind of completely unknown and haven't banked much at all, you might actually be able to qualify for something like this. But uh, it, it's still in the works, so we'll see what happens. But, uh, Mike, we'll, we'll transition as well just to the live Instagram chats because Novak Djokovic kind of got it started in a way when he chatted with Andy Murray, and, and they really had like a deep-dive conversation, breaking down some of their uh, worst losses and most memorable matches, talking all about uh, uh, their rivalries as well. And uh, it was a pretty fascinating conversation. It's been fun all week to watch these guys, any combination of these top guys, um, enter, entertain us with their, their chats. And it's cool because it's, it's how often do you get the opportunity to be kind of privy to, uh, you know, a one-on-one chat between two of the, the top tennis players in the world. And that's basically what this is. I mean, they're aware that we're all watching, mm-hmm. but it does sort of share that intimate side uh, of a conversation. I'm loving it. And uh, every little dynamic between these players has been fascinating. Um, Murray and Djokovic were very complimentary of one another and I don't know about you but it it left me at the end of it it left me really missing what Andy Murray brings to the tour and it reminded me that even though right now we talk about the big three there was a time there when rightly so there were a big four in the men's game and uh, even though he hasn't won a slam since Wimbledon 2016 we're coming up on four years He's got three slams, eight other finals, two Olympic gold medals, which is pretty cool. Former number one player in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big four was a term for a reason back back then, wasn't it? Yeah, it's it's unbelievable how short our, our memories can be. They're, they're very short term when it comes to tennis. And it was only four years ago that, that Annie Murray was completely at the top of the sport. He won Wimbledon in 2016 and and 
you know, reached world number one and was in complete control. I, I think I remember like a 25 match win streak that year too, where he was really unbeatable for a long stretch of time. And I thought to myself as he did get hurt, like later 2017, did he overplay in 2016? Cause he was just going tournament to tournament winning and winning. And the more winning you do, the more matches you end up playing, the more court time you have. Uh, so it's, it's a blessing and a curse in, in a way. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Andy Murray is, is one of those players uh, who was actually always a contender, not only for the slams, but masters 1000s too, racking up like 14 of those. That, that was huge that we, we did have like a solid big four for a lengthy stretch of time. And it, it did really make me miss uh, seeing Andy Murray consistently on tour. And, but uh, at the same time, he seems to have accepted his fate. Like if mm-hmm. he doesn't have any tennis left, he seems like at peace with it. Yeah, well, he's got nothing left to prove to anyone, and he's moved on in a sense, you know, as an adult in terms of married, he's got kids, he's got a family life that he seems very comfortable and content with. I saw the uh, Instagram picture or Twitter picture the other day of him dressed up in like a, a his kilt, but wearing like yeah. it was like a party hat or a unicorn, I forget what it was, but he's clearly, you know, enjoying his uh, his role as a father, and if he doesn't get to go back to tennis, he's got plenty to look back on. Uh, both from a personal standpoint and for what he's accomplished for his country that uh, and for Great Britain that he can certainly be very, very proud of. Um, it, it would have been nice and it will be nice if we get to see him come back and, and go out on his own terms at some point because uh, he's basically about to lose out on a third consecutive season, 2018 and 19, because of the injury and potential retirement. And now 2020 because of, well, injury at the start of the year with that pelvic injury and now uh, just the hiatus in general, which is a shame that, uh, I, I wonder if he does come back and, and depending on how long this, this goes, what uh, what he'll be like when he gets back on the court. Yeah, I'll be very curious to see. And uh, credit to Murray because I, I think he like did one of the best jobs breaking down uh, like the GOAT debate. Everybody's obsessed with this discussion. We don't really talk <laughs> about it too often on here, but he really just broke it down like facing the big three. Uh, and, and when people would ask him what his toughest match uh, was, he would always just say like, well, I felt like I'm competing against the best hardcore player ever in Novak, best clay court player ever in Rafa best grass court player ever in Roger. And for me, that that actually summed it up very, very nicely. And the proof really is in the statistics. Yeah. Why didn't we ever think of summing it up that way? huh? (laughs) Just split it a third, a third, a third. There you have it. Yeah, Um, And it's done with. He's also absolutely hilarious. He's really in a way that's uh, kind of like an understated, I don't know what you call it, like a British sense of humor, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's just, I love it. And uh, him and Rafa, when they went on uh, earlier today, what day is it today? Monday? Yeah, earlier on Monday as we're recording this, um, they had a funny exchange about starting a family and, and Andy mentioning to Rafa, well, hey, now's the, now's the best time to do it. We're all at home anyways. <laughs> and uh, just watching Rafa's reaction who's, you know, a little more um, reserved in a sense. Yep. But you could tell that he was almost like half, like sh- sort of shy, embarrassed, but uh, but having a good laugh along with it. And that was kind of cool to see him open up and see that side of his personality too. Because in a tennis tournament, you see Rafa as this like, you know, hardcore, intense, 
battling champion and it's nice to see them just you know relaxed and they can be relaxed because there's no tournament on the horizon right now yeah and they were talking about uh, previous days of like uh, playing video games and, and rafa poking fun at murray for that uh and it was absolutely hilarious if you get a chance to to watch uh, rafa's live insta feed because he had no idea what he was doing on instagram uh his poor use yeah. of his poor use of technology was so hilarious that andy murray like comes in the comments before he's actually chatting with them and, and, and wrote, the guy can win 52 French Opens, but he can't work Instagram. I thought that was really, really good. Well, he's totally ready to be a dad because he looked like a bumbling dad who just had no <laughs> idea how to like hook up the VCR or the yeah. DVD player or something, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, also, uh, very funny to note, just uh, Andy Murray and Novak Djokovic making fun of Stan Favrinka's ugly shorts when he won the French Open in 2015. Stan rolling into the comments, uh, flipping them off <laughs> was, also, was also terrific content. And he's been great on Instagram, too. So, hey, the, the big four, plus, you know, Stan, who's got three slams in, in recent memory, they're definitely stepping up and also proving their worth off the court uh, in terms of entertaining us on Instagram. I wonder what happens next, because this week has been like such a spike in entertainment value. Mm-hmm. Where do they go next? How can they possibly top this? What, uh, you know, different permutations and interactions or what follow-up discussions are we going to see happen uh, next? But it, it's cool to see them all as competitive as they've been throughout the years. And, and you know, the, the top three of them obviously competing for the uh, overall Grand Slam count. It's cool that they can also just kind of chill out and have these conversations with each other. I mean, if you go back to the 80s or 90s, I don't know if the technology existed, if we'd see like Bjorn Borg and Johnny McEnroe having an Instagram live chat or, or Pete Sampras opening up, you know, with Andre Agassi uh, either. But um these guys are definitely uh, showing us that you can be friendly, you know, off the court and, and still have, um, you know, that respect and, and competitive aspect that comes out when you face each other. Yeah. And I, I'm sure the fans are really, really appreciating these conversations as well. Uh, before we kind of get to our interviews, I'll, I'll make one more point about Rafa's conversation with Roger Federer, uh, that we have a busted myth. Uh, it was, it was long believed by some that Rafael Nadal was like converted from a right-handed player to a left-handed tennis player. Nadal says that legend is not true. He grew, grew up and when he was like four years old was playing like two hands on both sides and uh, just kind of naturally transitioned to just begin playing left-handed when he moved to a one-handed forehand. He was he was just a, a lefty. Uh, he just writes right-handed, but he was always like more left-leaning in tennis and in soccer. And uh, I, the one note of controversy we do have to touch on because it's really made the roads over the last 24 yeah, hours. Yeah, we can't go a week without some sort of controversy. <laughs> and know, of course, it, it can't. It can't somehow not touch the world, number one, unfortunately. So KK, get away. Lead us into this disaster, if you will. Yeah, certainly. Well, and it was such a good, like, 48 hours of press for Novak Djokovic in terms of charitable foundation work, in terms of the player funding uh, for the lower-ranked players. Uh, but in a in a live Instagram chat with uh, fellow Serbian players, he mentioned that he would be anti-vaccine personally for himself and would be against it as an idea being compulsory for players in terms of a vaccine for COVID-19 when they return to tour. And I, I don't know if anything got lost in transa- 
translation in the sense is, is Novak like fully anti-vaccination? He thinks vaccines are bad, or is he simply saying we, we shouldn't have it compulsory for the tour? And we're talking right now as well about a vaccine uh, for COVID-19 that, that doesn't currently exist. Yeah, there are a few things here that, that come to mind. And, and first of all, I just people can't wait to delve into stuff like this and give their opinion and, and take one extreme or the other, it seems, without really due process and, and getting all the information. Like, I can't understand Serbian. So even if I had heard the Instagram live chat, I wouldn't know what they were talking about. I wouldn't know the, the nuances. And you can't just put something through Google Translate. So until I hear clarification in English, I, I really don't feel even you know qualified to comment. But Here's the risk of doing these things, I guess, is that something you could say in some sort of online chat, which, yes, it's public and people are watching and listening, but it's not like it's, it's being recorded for posterity. It's not like it's a press conference. You're not on the job, so to speak. So mm-hmm. here's the risk, I guess, that players take is they could be misinterpreted or they could just be speaking off the cup or without even really thinking. Like if I went back and told you all the things in my life that I believed or thought I believed at one point in time, until I was properly educated or, or mature enough or grew up enough or had ex- life experience to comment on. I mean, I'd look like an idiot too. People be calling for my head. So, I mean, I think we need to take a collective breath, give the guy a break mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and let him, I guess, clarify if we really need clarification. But for me, to be honest with you, like his comments aren't hateful. They're not alienating a certain segment of the population. This is not like a Margaret court type situation where I feel very strongly. She's got no leg to stand on. Right. If Novak truly does want to feel like, Hey, for whatever reasons, the vaccine, not for him, even though I'm firmly on the other side. I mean, my wife is a nurse. We've got three kids. We've vaccinated them for everything. Uh, At the end of the day, I can live with this and it's not going to keep me up at night and it's not going to detract from the good things that he's been doing and it's not going to detract from his tennis accomplishments or anything like that either so to me this one is like not worthy of as much press as it's getting and certainly not given how little we really know about what he meant yeah absolutely uh i i don't think i could say it better than you that was uh that was great uh we we don't really know like his full lengthy point of discussion and i think you made a good point like is this going to detract or deter novak djokovic from doing future live instagram chats that he feels like because it feels like you're just kind of in a room chatting with your good friends and then you're just Mm -hmm. speaking comfortably and but really every word you say is being is being monitored closely by by fans and media so uh you know he may have just been speaking off the cuff like oh for me like i i'm not really for a vaccine and uh i don't think it should be compulsory for players so uh, or who knows maybe you know maybe he he meant that uh if a vaccine does come along which by the way is going to take some time for sure but if it does come along how comfortable are you going to feel right away with a vaccine that's so brand new? I don't know. I don't know. And that's why, you know, I feel like just leave it alone and and let it either, you know, get explained uh, at a later time, let them clarify or, Mm -hmm. or just move on. Cause aren't there like bigger things right now, both individually in our communities and our families and, and other things to, and, and look at all the the wonderful things he's, he's just done this week. So, uh, you know, live and let live a little bit and let's uh, move on to to other things, I I suppose. Right. But this is, this is why we don't do the podcast live, Ben, because we record (laughs) it just in case one of us says something that we didn't mean or it comes out wrong. We can go back and edit it. Yes, absolutely. And I want to clarify now before anybody yells at me, I am absolutely pro-vaccination. I'm not uh, 
remotely in that other camp, I, I do believe uh, in the the need of vaccines. Uh, but we'll move on from there. And uh, actually, the person I interviewed this week, a very different guest for us, uh, mm-hmm. and and actually knows knows Novak Djokovic, uh, and he's from Serbia himself. Uh, He's a tennis freestyle artist named Stefan Boyek. And uh, before, Mike, I take us to our interview. Um, just yeah, Can you tell us what a, what a tennis freestyle artist is for those that, like me, <laughs> when you first mentioned this to me a couple of days ago, my eyebrows went up a bit? Yeah, I mean, my eyebrows went up a bit just reading that on his Instagram. And then uh, I, I watched all the tricks that this guy can pull with uh, a tennis racket and ball and uh, obviously some soccer skills as well. Uh, Stefan Boyek makes, like, unbelievable videos on Instagram and YouTube, YouTube di- doing uh, and executing different awesome tennis tricks, whether he's on a tennis court where he's like flipping the ball off his handle between his legs and then hitting a 100 mile an hour serve or just like rolling through New York City uh, doing flips and bounces of the ball like on the frame of his racket. It, it's pretty unbelievable. And he says he wants to like start a revolution with it and uh, start a school <laughs> of it. And uh, really just like a fascinating guy to speak to. That's great. If my kids don't make it as professional tennis players, I'll send them to his school and they can learn to be, uh, you know, tennis tricksters, I guess. Um, <laughs> it's funny because you found this guest and, and it's great that we're kind of getting creative and, and trying to think outside of the box. So kudos to you for, for finding him. Uh, when you first mentioned it to me, like I said, I was a little bit like, what's this all about? Mm-hmm. And then I saw his Instagram account and realized we have like 1% of his Instagram followers. <laughs> He's got like 130 thousand instagram followers which is quite impressive and and then i realized that i've seen him before and uh, the name didn't clue in so sorry stefan if you're listening um i certainly know who you are now but i had seen him before at a uh, tiebreak 10s exhibition at madison square gardens two years ago in new york city and he came out onto the court during one of serena williams uh, little 10 point tiebreak matches during like a, a commercial timeout or tv timeout or whatever the case may be And he started doing these crazy tricks where he's lobbing the ball up like high, high up into the stadium. It's coming down. He's catching it on like his chin or like the the side of his racket or something (laughs) like that. And Serena was just standing there like open mouth. Couldn't believe it. Um, We'll share some of the pictures of that this week on Twitter and and Instagram because her reactions were just like, wow, I might have, you know, 23 grand slams, but I can't do some of the crazy stuff that you're doing right now. Yeah, it's uh, it's unbelievable to watch, and I implore all of our listeners to please like check out his videos uh, after this episode. And uh, without further ado, here's my interview with uh, Stefan Boyek. Well, my next guest, this will be a very unique interview on Matchpoint Canada. We're speaking with a tennis freestyle artist, and he has an Instagram following of nearly 130,000 people. He's shown off his unbelievable tricks to stars like Novak Djokovic, Andy Murray, and Maria Sharapova, among others. Uh, Stefan Boyek, thank you so much uh, for joining us on Matchpoint Canada this week. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it is our pleasure, and uh, we can find you on Instagram at Steph underscore Boyick. Uh, before, I guess, we get into the revolution you've you've started in, in tennis trickery, I will call it, um, I, I just want to ask about your background in tennis itself. When did you uh, begin playing, and, and when did you kind of realize you, you have a knack for it? Uh, I, I began playing uh, quite young uh, in uh, accompanying my older brother. So I think I was just picked up the racket as he was playing tournaments. He's five years older than me. At seven, I uh, officially joined like a school for tennis, and then I played uh, 
all through the junior career here in Serbia. I was pretty successful. I was a national champion at a one point and played for the team, uh, the national team, a few times. This is the generation of uh, Lajovic and uh, Krajinovic was uh, younger than us, but he also played with us. And Chacic now, who is uh, breaking through in doubles. I think he's uh, top 100 now, or I don't know, somewhere around there. Um, so this is my generation from Serbia, after which I went to college at uh, the age of 18 to New York. Um, uh, first to Virginia, actually, for a semester. Then I transferred to New York St. John's University. I played there, uh, yeah, all my all my uh, college career. After I was done with that, I, I had no idea I would be back in tennis. Uh, I studied film and television and um, production. So after I was finished with school and I did a summer job as a tennis coach in New York, I didn't really know what I would do. And um, I wanted to, I wasn't really allowed to, to, to get a, to get a job due to paperwork and everything in the U S and it's a bit different with film industry because it's a, mostly it's freelance gigs. So I wanted to see what I wanted to do. And then uh, I started doing this project and it grew, it grew, it grew. And yeah, I'm still doing it. Well, that that, uh, that certainly makes sense, I guess, that you'd have the film and television background because, you know, if we check you out not only on Instagram and, and YouTube, uh, you, you've filmed some some wonderful shots and clearly you, you've been around the world a bit to, to different cities to, to capture your tennis tricks. Uh, yeah. I, I guess I guess growing I think, up... Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I guess growing up, did you have... Uh, did, did you notice... Like as uh, a younger player, you were always good at the kind of trickery aspect of the game too with your racket. I mean, yeah, yes and no. I, I when I played competitive, and I still uh, am a fan of that philosophy. You know, you need to separate the times you're having fun and the times you're not having. You know, when you're trying to be practical. Although having fun is also a practical thing in its own way, but I, I don't. Uh, particularly remember of, of being, I mean, I was always um, regarded as very talented in a way, but uh, that's, a, that's a different story, what talent is and, and what I think about talent. But uh, so, yes, I, in short terms, I would say yes. Uh, although, although at the same time, although at the same time, no, <laughs> because I didn't really do it right as much. Right. So I always had that idea when I was a kid growing up, I, I had an idea like tennis could be something different, could be more. And I think all my life the idea was developing. And then, uh, when I had the freedom to do it, uh, I went for it. I mean, slowly and sort of, uh, not with too much confidence. But step by step, it grew, and uh, yeah, now it's a whole universe, as you said before. And back to back to your point, I think the the, the background in television and film definitely helped uh, tremendously because I think um, what I'm trying to do also one of my goals is to show uh, tennis through a different kind of lens, through different kind of shots that I think are missing, not in terms of tricks, but in terms of capturing the, the, the action of the tennis court. I think in the U.S. they do the best job at the U.S. Open, but generally I think tennis is not shot up to a standard where it should be. And uh, I, I guess in that sense, you know, we obviously host a, a tennis podcast here and we have a lot of listeners and, and tennis is a global sport, but still at times, at least in Canada, I'm sure other places, it does feel like a niche sport. Do you, do you think there would be ways to, uh, yeah, in, in essence, kind of shoot tennis uh, on a better landscape to bring in more fans who, who don't really have that full appreciation of it? 
Yeah, I think uh, basically uh, the the core of my idea was to to affect the sport of tennis. So I'd have to go back to that to sort of my philosophy, which is uh, that I wanted to 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 affect the culture of the sport. And the way to do that, in my opinion, is to affect the most physical unit of the sport. So I wanted to change the human's relationship with the racket and with the ball to make it more friendly. And I hope this will branch out and create a more friendly culture. So in terms of shooting, I mean, we can fix that uh, easily and that would be one of the details. But then uh, uh, you have so many others. And I think the reason why there is a certain sense of dysfunctionality is because uh, the culture at the, at the time uh, is is not in accordance with our times that we live in, but also not the best in, in a way, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I think there is a way to shoot it better. I think there is a way to bring younger audiences, but I think there is many, many more projects and ways to do that uh, if we all can work together. And for those, I guess, who haven't watched uh, your videos yet, and I'm hoping listeners uh, check them out and we'll be sharing them, uh, maybe you can go over a few of like your basic skills and, and how you developed. Like, like what is maybe a baseline of a few tennis tricks that you really started with and, and then developed those over time? Well, the baseline would be, right, uh, I guess the baseline would be the bouncing on the, uh, of the ball on the frame. That's something that was there before but no one really uh, broke it down into a methodology and although there is um, like I'm building a whole school now and there is a whole section of it which has nothing to do with uh, bouncing on the frame but to make it more and more challenging you have to make it right you have to bounce the ball on the lesser of a surface that's why it became becomes hard therefore challenging and therefore it uh, it leads you to to sort of developing different skills so, yeah, I guess the base would be the bouncing of the, fr- uh, the ball on the frame. Uh, then there is some connection to the freestyle football world, like around the world trick and the flip trick and stuff like that. You know, but, um, you know, I, I don't really look at it. Uh, I mean, I do have a list of all, every trick, and uh, but it, it's all together as, as, one, as one piece. And the hardest part was trying to realize how a person goes from level to level in developing and what is the, you know, first level, second level, third level Mm. of tricks and then combining them and and you sort of making like a tree, you know, like a tree of life for, for freestyle. Right. And, and so you said you're developing a school. If we could compare maybe like tennis freestyle artistry to something like I'm thinking a comparison would be say skateboarders, magicians, would that be in the same kind of light? Yeah, I mean, skateboarding was uh, was a big influence in my opinion. You know, uh, for me personally, and I think that's why that's why uh, I was on the freestyle as well. Parkour. Uh, I don't know how big that is in, in Canada. Um, it's a French uh, French discipline, parkour, and some and some other uh, almost martial arts, right? Like karate in a way, where you have kate, where they're doing the positions, right? So in that way, or maybe even snowboarding, you know, I think a good analogy would be snowboarding and skiing. Right. Because if you, because in Canada, you guys know, right, when snowboarding came about, it wasn't that popular. It was sort of looked down. And, and I'm not experiencing that in tennis world. Uh, quite the opposite. Everyone's really nice and, and, and welcoming, um, mm-hmm. you know, regardless of the business side, obviously, that 
could be uh, more, but they're not up, up with the times yet. But so snowboarding, in my opinion, uh, pushed the conventional sport of skiing in another direction. And then skiing learned from it. And now skiing is better again than, than snowboarding in many ways. You know, right. it improved because of that sort of channel of freedom that that uh, snowboarding wanted to push. And uh, for yourself, like you grow up and you're this successful junior player, as you mentioned, you're you're part of the Serbian junior national team and a national junior yeah. champion at one point. Um, did did you have major aspirations uh, to to start a professional career, and and when did you kind of divert those plans if they had existed? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely, like when you when you're a kid, you you uh, you you know you you, you aim for that. I'm not sure quite the point. I mean, I re- even when I was 16, I remember, although I won the the national championship, I didn't really have those aspirations already. Because mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, a lot of factors play into it. I, I can't really give you an answer why uh, one life's turned the way it does or doesn't. Um, I do think um, I achieved great success in tennis. Uh, I just don't, maybe necessarily wasn't, wasn't for me carefully, but to be honest, you know, it's, it's a tough question to, to answer because, uh, if I go one way, let's say of, uh, me trying to be above the situation, then I'm putting everyone else in the sport down, right. all the athletes like, Oh, they're, they're just whatever they're, you know, tennis players. On the other hand, if I put them up, I'm putting myself down because I'm saying like, Oh no, you know. They, they're successful and I couldn't do it. So I don't, I don't think it's, a, it's the right fri- uh, frame of mind for anyone. I think that's why a lot of people walk away from, from tennis, um, you know, not feeling quite uh, achieved, although they did achieve a high level of what they were trying to do. Mm-hmm. It just so happens the system is organized in a way where top 100 players are, are uh, making a career out of it while others are not well, while we know the differences aren't that big right yeah so i think um i don't i don't think it's a it's a good way to look at it and i think that's also one of the reasons why sport is a culture tennis uh, sport uh, doesn't work that well because a lot of people walk away from it and never look back and hate it you know <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely they end up having a negative association with it uh despite maybe achieving really special things so uh i'm glad you have that clarity exactly. of mind yeah no that's that's great i i wanted to ask you about uh your relationship with uh the world number one novak djokovic because uh we, <laughs> we've, we've seen videos of uh you doing trick uh trick shots uh alongside him and uh, you seem to be uh, quite stronger in the trickery game than him which is uh which is fascinating <laughs> but obviously you have more practice uh what's what's novak like as a person and uh how how great is it to have i, I guess a, a serbian world number one to to look up to as well yeah, I mean he's he's been there from from sort of the day one, let's say, of when I started doing public with it with uh, one campaign. It just so happens he was there, and he so he really supported. Uh, you know, he's really a, 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 in my opinion, he's a tremendous guy. Uh, it's it's sometimes hard to communicate through conventional channels uh, and PR. Um, you know, there there is always uh, room for that, but uh, in terms of his life and his achievement, I think uh, no one else can understand his 
success better than people that come from uh, or players tennis players that come from Serbia. Mm-hmm. I think what he's done is is quite uh, unique. I don't think we ever had uh world number one that's coming from a small poor country. Uh so that's quite revolutionary and I think his uh, his greatness is going to be bigger in the future because because I think a lot of the young players growing up in uh, in this global world we look up to him more so than maybe the other guys, you know, like coming from an unconventional background. Certainly. Uh, so I think there he'll gain a lot of greatness, let's say. Right. But, uh, I mean, he always, he always keeps surprising. Uh, he's always does something extra, you know, now I, I saw he donated first to Serbia, then to Spain, then to Italy. Mm-hmm. So he's a, he's a very unique guy. I think he's much different in a way. Uh, than most tennis players are, you know, even the top ones. I think he's quite complex as a human and has a lot of interest, which is not that common for, for athletes. And that's why I think he's he's pretty revolutionary in, in a lot of things mm-hmm. uh, in the world of sports. Are, are you still a big a big fan of the sport? Like, like do you still watch tennis regularly, despite the fact yeah, that... Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm curious, I, I was trying to think of, I guess, players who uh, practice artistry and, and trickery on the court. Obviously, we see, see so much greatness from Roger Federer, but then other, other names that were coming, yeah. coming to mind for me were like a, a Gael Mofis, a Benoit Paire. Are, are yeah. there any uh, players maybe you look, looked up to earlier in, in the sense of kind of artistry on the court and, and doing some, some yeah, fascinating tricks? Yeah, that's a good tricks? question. I never get that. Uh, I mean, I, I always liked James Blake, you know, but right. uh, when I was a kid, I, I don't know, maybe it was his, you know, this style or whatever. I, I don't remember if he was very, Guillermo Correa was like super good with drop shots. I remember mm-hmm. Guillermo Correa, uh, Corda, you know, like, I don't know. They were just different in a way. Today, I think Cueva stands out yeah. uh, with trick shots. But the guys that you mentioned, like Roger, is unbelievable. You know, if if he uh, wanted to make more highlights, he definitely could. It's just not the smartest thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> and then Mofis is a showman. Yeah, uh, he's incredibly athletic. Um, he's, I think, he's more skillful with his uh, movement and with his, uh, you know, physical ability than just pure touch, you know, uh, like Ben Alper, like you mentioned. Ben Alper has an incredible touch. Right. Cuevas, I think, is, is quite, because he's not not right one of the stars, but I watched quite a few of his matches that weren't even on TV, and it's just bizarre <laughs> what the guy does. It's like, I, I couldn't believe he's doing it in a match. It looked like uh, he was like... Yeah, yeah, I, I was I was thinking of... Jumkur, uh, you know, Damir Jumkur. Yeah. Damir Jumkur is incredible also to watch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, Cuevas, uh, his uh, tweener from a couple of years ago uh, stands out on clay against Zverev. Uh, certainly a memorable shot where he kind of flipped his hand over and yeah. somehow hit this winner. Um, I, I'm curious, I guess this is for, for fans uh, and tennis players. As you know, we're all practicing social distancing and, and we're in isolation like so much of the world. So for a lot of people, they, they, can't, yeah. go, they can't go on a tennis court and, and play with their friend. What are, what are maybe some simpler skills you'd recommend recommend for for tennis players who would want to keep their coordination sharp maybe some some basic tricks yeah well i i'm starting um i hope i i mean yeah hopefully this will end soon right and 
I was very sad because I was making this cool any, anyhow, even before this, and it could have been ready already, but, you know, it's, he wasn't. I was planning to release it in the summer. I didn't expect this. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I post some challenges on my Instagram, and I even created a story highlight which says, which says uh, stay home or something like that. And there is some, like, four or five already challenges which sort of have the, the exercises, like you mentioned, that are more easy and, and to, to deal, to do, to do. Great. Uh, well, uh, it's awesome and really, really cool to, to follow your work on Instagram and uh, no problem. Yeah, listeners. And you we can... haven't mentioned your 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 uh, your guys, man. They're, they're gonna rock the tennis world very soon, huh? Uh, our Canadian, Canadian, our Canadian players. Yeah, it's been a an, an unbelievable success story. Of course, with Bianca winning the U.S. Open last year, and uh, we we are in good hands with uh, Dennis and Felix and well, uh, Dennis and Felix, and and still players like Milos Raonic still playing so well. So yeah, certainly uh, we're, yeah. we're a we're a we're a nation on the rise. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. And Vasek being the host now for the ATP. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's you got it all covered. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Uh, well, I'll invite all our listeners to to follow Stefan Boyek on Instagram. It's at Steph underscore Boyek, B-O-J-I-C. Uh, unbelievable uh, tennis artistry and tricks. And uh, thanks so much for joining us on the program this week. We really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. There you have it, my conversation with uh, Stefan Boyek. Probably my first and last conversation that I'll have with a tennis freestyle artist, unless we get to oh, chat with him again down the line, which they're all going to be coming out of the woodwork now <laughs> thinking we're the platform for them or something. Yeah. You know? Well, this is, this is the time to be doing this kind of stuff, right? While we're in quarantine, while we're in lockdown, you can't get out on a, a tennis court uh, yourself to, to play a match. Like this is where you perfect these types of skills. Do you have any tricks yourself? I mean, you're the better tennis player between us, and that's not even close. I shouldn't even be say it's not even fair for me to say that because it's not even a comparison. But do you have any cool tricks that you can do that would even like you know come close to being what? something that <laughs> could be turned into an act like this? Uh, I mean, they they might look cool, like they look cool to kids when I would coach tennis. But if I were uh-huh. standing next to Stefan Boyek, like it would look completely embarrassing. But uh, right. I, I can do I can do like the the magic racket is always a good one where someone someone like throws a ball at you and you catch it on your strings without it bouncing i can do that one uh and uh, i can use the frame where i'm just sort of bouncing between the racket strings and the frame kind of back and forth quite well but just on the frame is very very difficult like i don't think i've ever been able to get more than say 10 in a row just on the frame that's really really challenging and he can not only hit it on on the frame and then back over to his knees on his head, the ability to balance the ball on the frame portion of the racket. So it's just sitting there is like unbelievable to me. Oh, it's absolutely crazy. I've got no tricks, by the way. Like, <laughs> I bounced the ball a few times on my racket, and my kids are like, Dad, you're amazing. And I'll accept that. I'll take it. Yep. Right. But really, aside from like when I'm about to serve, I can do the Shapovalov Isner through the legs bounce. You know, that makes me feel pretty cool. Mm, yeah. And I still, I still flub that sometimes. But yeah. that's like all I can do, which is really lame. Uh, this guy is absolutely incredible. And I, I thought it was really cool to see someone who couldn't quite make it professionally. I mean, the guy mentioned that, you know, he's a former national level player in Serbia. He was quite talented, yep. couldn't make it professionally, but he's found a creative way to stay involved with the sport, make something of it, 
And, uh, I mean, he's had interactions with what other players besides uh, Djokovic, uh, clearly, and Serena. Yeah, and Andy Murray, and uh, there's a video with him uh, doing some tricks in front of Maria Sharapova. And it's like Sharapova is almost like getting a lesson from him in tricks. Like, she's trying to learn a couple of the tricks that he's doing, uh, which is very cool to be, you know, on a tennis court teaching Maria Sharapova things as, as a right. fellow player yourself. Uh, and yeah, as you said, he, he had like a good career as a junior and played tennis at St. John's university uh, in, in New York and then had his film and television career. And obviously was always like a great artist in terms of tricks and has uh, brought that into a career, which is very cool. No, I like it. It's, it's inspired me. I'm going to head out there tomorrow and I'm going to try to like one up my usual and see what the kids think of that. And, um, you know, not that I will ever be able to do anything that even remotely resembles this guy, <laughs> but uh, it'd be fun to go out and, and try a few different things, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, Mike, I know you had a chance as well to, to speak with someone for, for this week's episode, and we've spoken to her before, Carson Brandstein, who's a 2017 Australian and French Junior Open champion in doubles with Bianca Andrescu. And, uh, look, she's, she's dealt with uh, major injuries, I know, over the past couple of years but uh, now she's committed uh, to USC where she's uh, already attending school and obviously that's been uh, put to a stop but uh, I'm hoping she's getting healthy now. Yeah she was almost through her first year at uh, USC and she's finishing off things now online but uh, it's incredible she says that it's the first season or the first time now right now that she's feeling like she's really fully healthy since she's been 15 or 16 and that it's just mind-boggling that for someone so young, they've already had to deal with so many injuries, lingering injuries, uh, long-term kind of injuries, and uh, you hope that she can come back through all this and, and play some competitive ball uh, at the college level, and then she does fully intend to play pro at some point in the future, so we wish her all the best with that. And as you mentioned, we've had Carson on with us several times before, and uh, let's catch up with her right now and, and see what's new with Carson Branstein. Um, so Carson, tell me to start with, how are you handling, uh, life these days in this new sort of world that we're all living in? Yeah, I mean, I think like everyone else, we're all struggling in our own ways, but for me, it's just, I'm okay. It's just very, very boring for me. I like being around people and just doing things all day long. So having to be stuck in my home all day, um, is difficult on the mind for me. Are you kind of coming up with a a routine each day, or is it just you wake up each day and and take it as it comes? So I have a somewhat, uh, during the week I have a little bit of routine, just because my classes are all via Zoom now, so I still, I'm I'm doing school, so my class times are all the same, it's just a matter of like when I'm doing home workouts and sleeping and stuff has been a little bit difficult to keep on track. so I guess my routines are, are somewhat there. So yeah. What What's the hardest part for you to adapt to during all this? Just motivation in general is definitely the hardest part. Yeah, I think um, we're, we're all kind of going through that on some level. Yeah, exactly. Just to keep working out and keep up with my studies and everything, and just everything is a little bit touched in my life um, of motivation. It's just like. Uh, like, what am I working for right now? Because like, there's no timeline, so it's really just difficult to plan everything out. And you're, uh, throughout this, you're staying at home. You've got uh, family around you. You've got some people around, at least, with some distractions. Yeah, so I'm here I'm at home with my sister. Um, so 
It's just me and my sister at my house. My oldest sister uh, is married. My mom actually lives in Atlanta almost full time. Um, this is my mom's house, actually. Uh, my mom lives in Atlanta, though, almost full time because she's my cousin. She works for my cousin, who's an MLB. Um, and even though baseball's obviously not playing, like, there's just a lot of stuff that she has to do still, so I've just been quarantining with my sister, um, and then FaceTiming my friends as much as I can. How are you, um, finding, I mean, obviously you can't get out on the tennis court, can't swing the racket the same way you normally would. Are you finding any ways to sort of mimic those tennis movements? Or, I mean, I've seen some pros set up things in their garage or backyard. Is there anything you're doing that's keeping things at all sort of similar to what you would be doing uh, training as a tennis yeah. player? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I've been doing, well, I actually got surgery a little bit, like, two and a half months ago. Oh, it's almost three months now? Wow, it's almost been three months. It's crazy. Um, so I got knee surgery a few months ago. So at the beginning of this, I really wasn't doing much still. I was doing PT and I wasn't really allowed to play tennis yet, so it's kind of been tough knowing that I am cleared to play and then court access is obviously not there. So I've just been, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm just doing footwork in my backyard and stuff, um, which is kind of okay because I get some nice way to start getting my body used to moving again. I, I hate to say it, but uh, you've unfortunately had a lot of experience, it seems, with dealing with injuries and, and coming back from injuries, even though you're just 19 years old. Yeah, that's true. That's definitely true. I can't lie about that. I mean, I don't think I've played a full schedule of tennis, like, probably since I was, uh, like, 15 or 16 was the last time I played a full year of tournaments without having to be out for a considerable time because of an injury. The uh, the knee surgery, has that got you back to 100% or where would you say you're feeling at this time? So I would honestly say in the last two years, every injury that I've had was kind of rooted from this one. It was a left meniscus tear, left knee meniscus. And uh, yeah, it was just constant compensation. So even if it wasn't necessarily that hurting me because it's like the kind of injury where very up and down and I was obviously managing it for a couple of years but I would subconsciously, even the day it hurt, I was always compensating and I didn't realize it. So it caused other things like my other knee hurting me, like my hips hurting like just other things just kind of getting tweaked constantly and then I think now that I finally just put my foot down and got this done that it's going to be much better for me in the long run and I, I really do believe that this is going to be kind of end of that path of injuries um at least for now i mean not everything's in your control but i'm feeling pretty confident about it that's good to hear we wish you all the best in the recovery here and uh, have you and bianca had any chats about what it's like to deal with a, a knee injury as she's been going through a, a pretty serious one as well these past few months yeah it, there's a lot of similarities in her injury i think obviously mine's a little bit more severe um, just because I, I did need surgery, but hers is a little bit similar in some ways, so we've definitely had a lot of conversation about it, and kind of, it was nice to be able to relate to someone um, and be really, really open about your injury, just because we're so close and we do what's best for each other, um, so it's kind of nice to have that constant um, support system from someone who kind of feels your same thing. 
Have you been keeping in touch with a lot of your fellow tennis players through this uh, quarantine isolation that we're dealing with? Are you uh, on social yeah, media quite a bit? Definitely. I mean, me and Bianca, um, before everything got really bad, I actually, I've seen Bianca, when did I see her last? I saw her like maybe two weeks ago, a little bit over two weeks ago, um, because she was out in Indian Wells doing stuff, and then she ended up coming to LA for like a couple of days, then we hung out um, before she left back to Toronto when they were shutting everything down. Um, so I've definitely been talking to Bianca pretty often, and then I talk to Charlotte a little bit on the wet very often as well, pretty much every day. Um, couple of my European friends I talk to them quite often. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'd say even regardless of going to college, my, my tennis friends are still my closest friends, so there's always contact. There have been some people who have been uh, certainly entertaining us on social media these days. Uh, are there any tennis players that you follow that you think have really stepped up their games to keep us entertained during this time? Oh, gosh. You know what? I haven't really been like paying attention to that too too much. I I know like um, <laughs> I guess uh, one of my teammates at SC is really big on the whole TikTok thing, and she's been making like a ton of them lately, and it's hilarious. So I like watching those. But yeah, I'm hopeful that by um, the end of all I this, I my social media like it's funny. I I'm active on my social media and I do post a lot, but I'm really not going through my feed that much. I kind of like. Instagram, I only kind of worry about what I'm posting. I kind of just look at my posts. But on Twitter, I'm, I'm looking at news, like, constantly. I only follow, like, 30 people on Twitter, and it's all kind of just, like, sports and news related. I'm really hopeful that by the end of all this, I actually understand what a TikTok is. I know. I really don't get it either. I just downloaded it because all my friends are like, download it, download it, download it. I'm like, it's fine, I'll download it. I'm still not really on the bandwagon yet. I don't like it that much, but I just... If my friends post something funny, then I'll watch it. And I like it, yeah. Hey, tell us a little bit about college life at uh, at USC and and your decision ultimately to to go that route. I mean, you had a very successful junior career. You won those two junior doubles Grand Slams along alongside Bianca Andreescu. Uh, even last summer on the ITF circuit, you uh, had a great run in Gatineau, making the finals there. What decided? What prompted you to decide to go the the college route, which is the path not as often taken. Yeah, I think a lot of it was injury-related just because I, you never know what's going to happen to you, um, uh, especially in my situation. I was very up and down the last few years. Um, and then also from an educational standpoint, education in, in my family in general is very important. And I worked pretty hard throughout high school, even though I was doing all my high school on the computer. I I didn't mess around to say, like, I really did try and I thought to myself, you know what, what's a couple years going to do to me going to school and guaranteeing that I always have that education behind my back and still working as hard as I can and being maybe a year or two, like, I won't say behind, but just, like, missing a year or two on tour, I don't think will be affected by going to college. I think college is a really good growing experience, not only as an athlete, but as a person as well. It's one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do. I thought, you know, playing tennis and traveling and stuff was difficult, but going to a top-tier school and working out as hard as you can every day and waking up at 5 in the morning to go and lift weights and then everything else that comes with being a college athlete really teaches you a lot. Um, 
And I, I would honestly encourage more players to go to college because I really think it's an amazing experience that um, can only benefit you if, if you do it right. Do they take it easy on you student-athletes at all, or are the professors just as tough as they are on the rest of the class? Um, I mean, I, I would love to think that at USC, like, your professors would, you know, be considerate and stuff. My, my first semester, my, my professors weren't considerate of anything. They didn't care I was an athlete at all. Um, second semester, I'd say my professors were pretty cool with it. Um. Do you hear what I said? Yeah, yeah. You got to find uh, professors yeah, that are tennis second, fans. Second, yeah, second semester, first semester was difficult with it, but yeah, second semester, I've gotten some pretty incredible professors um, who really like the fact that we're athletes and really appreciate what we do. And you know, athletes—it's it's pretty true. Athletes almost never miss class a lot of times because we're being checked up on constantly. I mean, at least at USC, I think like that. They're always checking up on us uh, to make sure that we're getting everything done and not just getting it done and doing it well. So I think my professors this semester have really seen that in all of us and um, appreciate us in their classes. What, what is it you're studying there? What are you uh, taking? So I, I already declared my major and my minor. So my major is communications and my minor is media, econ, and entrepreneurship. So... Um, I, I I love it, actually. It's amazing. It's I mean, Annenberg School of Communication and Journalism is number one in the world, I think. So um, I've gotten to, even though it's been a short time, I've got to learn actually so much and experience like really cool things. I get to hear from my professors who all have like these incredible backgrounds, but I don't even know how some of them are professors. They've done like such amazing things in their careers. So it's, it's been a really cool experience to kind of get a little taste of everything that I'm doing. Well, it's like great to experience every day. Of it's great to hear how excited you are about all of it, and that must be validating that you've made the right decision, I guess. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I don't I don't regret going to school at all. A lot of people question that decision. It's like, why don't you just go straight pro? And I'm like, you know what? No, I'm not going to throw that away for myself. It's, it, it's I, I'm going to predict this, I'm like really strongly believing that in the future that it's going to be more and more normal to go to college instead of going directly pro because it's just such an amazing opportunity, not only educationally, but then going back to the athletic side, there's so much that a college team can do for you now, um, and the facilities that these schools have is, is incredible, and they do give you opportunities as well for professional tournaments. A lot of colleges do have wild cards and stuff, which a lot of people might not know about. So. Yeah, it sounds like you got kind of the best of both worlds, actually, then. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now, do you see what you're studying there potentially connecting to a career that's still somewhat related to tennis when your playing days are done one day? Definitely. Um, 100%. So, I'm also a pre-law student, so I'm taking, like, some law classes as well that are, like, double counts for, like, GEs and, like, being a pre-law student, I would ultimately like to go to law school and be in entertainment law, um, whether that's going to agency or working like somewhere around LA and media stuff where like I know a couple of people who work for different social media platforms, so even if it's not like tennis related, I still really like entertainment and media regardless, um, whether it's sports, athletics, um, 
or kind of just like media and like all that stuff. Like I, I love all of it. I love like, like super interesting to me. Um, cause I just feel like it's kind of the way of the world now. Um, it's all media. So, um, it would be cool to work in tennis. Um, but you know, whatever opportunities end up coming for me, um, I'll do it. And even if I have the tennis career in my life, like I still want to work afterwards because I, I need to be doing something constantly. I always need a goal. Yeah, I mean, so even if, if you're... to have the best career in my life, like I still will probably go for that job that I always wanted. Even if I don't go to law school because it's, it's going to be really difficult to balance like, with my tennis and get into the law school that I want to get into. But, um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, even if you're Serena Williams or Roger Federer playing till you're you're 40, you're still gonna have a lot of good years ahead where you're gonna need to keep busy and have something to stay motivated with, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, 40, I mean, playing till you're 40 is a long career. I don't know if I, <laughs> I don't know if that's one of my goals to play till I'm 40, anyways. But, um, but yeah, like mid 30s for sure. I definitely want to work unless I have like a big family or something and kids, maybe not. But uh, I definitely want to do something and use my degree. Somewhere in my life. Right on. Now, while you're down there in California, do you still have any interaction with Tennis Canada or any of the Canadian coaching staff while you're while you're down there? Oh, 100 percent. Yeah, I still talk to Simon LaRose like weekly. Um, you know, Simon and I developed a, like a very strong bond. Like being player and coach, it's like we traveled all the time and he was on the call with me he saw me in my worst times he saw me in my best times he was there for my best wins and losses and um, I still consider him my coach like I, I tell him everything about my tennis my training and stuff and once I am done with college like I will probably be training with him again I don't know if I'll be traveling with him um, because he has a little bit different position now at Tennis Canada but I think that for the rest of my career that Simon will have a big impact on what I'm doing. So that contact is definitely not gone anywhere. And then also my fitness coaches I talk to um, as well. And then every month or so, I'll, I'll text Sylvain um, back and forth. Well, it's nice to hear you're still uh, connected with us. Uh, some of your fans are undoubtedly going to want to know, uh, and this will be a total guess on your part, of course, but when do you think we might ever see you and Bianca on the same side of the net again together? Oh my gosh, well, we, we still, yeah, I mean, once I'm back on tour again and playing the same level of tournaments, like, I'm pretty sure that it'll, it'll become more of a regular thing. Um, and then, of course, like, when tournaments like Rogers Cup and stuff come around, I'm pretty sure it's inevitable that we'll play together just because of all of our success and the fun that we have on the court and just, like, everything that comes to it is just such an amazing experience. So I think, yeah. Uh, Sooner than later, it's just a matter of time for, it's kind of more of my timeline when I'm done with college and all that, um, we'll, be, we'll be able to play on court again. Understandable. I mean, aside from even the success you guys have had, you're just a really fun doubles tandem to watch because you can tell you guys are just loving what you're doing and have that awesome chemistry with each other, which is fun for the fans to look at and see. Yeah, it's great. I can't wait to play in Rogers Cup again because it's, it's pretty cool to have two Canadians out there and it's you know, you can obviously, like, no matter how tight the match is, you, still, you can still see how much we're enjoying it and just how we know each other's games and stuff so well. It's just, it's, it's like, pretty to watch, actually. It's, like, almost like satisfying tennis. It's really, 
Well, hey, look, thanks for taking the time today. Good luck with your online studies through this time. Uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and we look forward to seeing you back on court uh, when all this hopefully is, is under control sometime soon. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for calling me this morning. And there you have it, Mike's conversation with Canadian tennis player Carson Brandstein, who is uh, now at USC going the college route. And uh, as she said in that interview, I I think it's definitely like just a smart move, not only educational wise, uh, but just the uncertainty of your career when you are dealing with injuries at a young age. You never know what can happen. So so going to college for her, I think, was a great decision. And she's already seen that, unfortunately. And I mentioned that in one of my questions is uh, she's been dealing with so many injuries. So for someone like her, it makes total sense that they would want to have a, a strong plan B. And, and hers is like, wow, major, minor. She's already pre-law student. And she's already looking ahead at what can she do with this whenever tennis is done, whether that's in her 20s or 30s, depending on how long uh, her career goes. But it's just great to see someone so young have that sort of um, long-term plan. And I think more people in tennis could learn something from the Carson Brandsteins, from the Carol Zhao's of the world uh, Mm -hmm. who go the college route. Because, yeah, whether you start playing tennis professionally at the age of 22 or 23 or 21 or whatever the case may be, even if you only do a couple years at college, you're putting yourself in a better position long term. And you're still young enough that you can certainly go and, and make a, a, um, an attempt, uh, a solid attempt at, at having a pro career. So good for her for doing that. Um, and I think we're going to see maybe more people in the future trying to go that route and set themselves up uh, long term. Because a tennis career, if you're extremely lucky, you're going to go until 35, 40. If you're in the very small percentage of players mm-hmm. like the Rogers, the Serena's or someone like an Evo Karlovic, who's got a bomb that's going to sustain him for maybe even years to come. But for most people, it's going to be done before you're 30 years old and you've still got a lot of life to live. So you better have something uh, ready to do next. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I still think she's like a great, bright prospect uh, for Canada in terms of tennis. And we were seeing like nice results from her last year, even uh, even playing the Canadian ITF circuit in, in Gatineau. I recall her making a, a final run there, losing to Leila Annie Fernandez. So the tennis level is definitely there and uh, still so young and going this college route now. She's just 19. Uh, I really think we're going to see her have a, a successful pro career ahead of her. Yeah, absolutely. And she's still in touch with Tennis Canada with coaches mm-hmm. and uh, and physio staff, as she mentioned. So there's definitely still a connection there that will uh, endure past her time in the States in, uh, in college. And uh, we thank her again for joining us this week. We'll uh, put up some uh, pictures on Instagram and Twitter as well to, to promote. And uh, I've got to say, speaking of Instagram pictures here before we wrap up, I, I had my own Instagram kind of like skyrocket in the last couple of days. Well, for me anyways with a picture of Maria Sharapova that I put up for her 33rd birthday, which first of all, so much younger than you'd think considering she's now retired. Um, But it's just interesting the the response that certain athletes give us in social media. And, uh, and Maria is definitely one of those ones. I almost forgot because it had been sometimes I posted any pictures of her, just how many of her fans love to get behind any image that you, that you put up. And, and that makes me think, Hey, listeners out there, if there's any players in particular that you'd like to see us put up on Instagram, either from pictures that we have or pictures that some of our you know, associated photographers have taken that we have permission to use, uh, let us know because uh, there's no live tennis, but uh, plenty of shots of, of previous matches that we can put up of uh, some of your favorite male 
and female tennis players. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, our photo that we shared on Matchpoint Canada of Maria got great reception. Uh, Naomi Osaka, also a total Instagram star, when we shared a photo of her just, uh, I think, a couple weeks ago, got over 400 likes. So that was great reception there. So uh, please, if you're not following on the, all the content, there's like really, really good tennis content on Instagram as well. You can find us, Matchpoint Canada. Uh, find our guests as well from this week. Uh, Stefan Boyer, you can, you can find him, Steph underscore Boyick, which is B-O-J-I-C. And you can find the uh, Canadian Carson Brandstein uh, on Instagram as well, Carson Brandstein. Um, we thank our guests for this week, and we thank you for listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will speak with you next time.